Hi everyone, and welcome back to the Century Podcast. Before we dive into Cat's podcast, I wanted to give you all a brief update on what we've been up to these past few months. As you're probably aware, we've missed a couple of podcast episodes, and that's mainly because we've been focused on updating our website at cu-century.com, perfecting our weekly flipping book issues, and most recently, producing our first print issue since March of 2020. You can find those physical copies of our Halloween issue around campus today, Wednesday, October 27th, so keep an eye out for those. Without further ado, I'd like to introduce our first podcast episode of this semester. In her solo episode, our noise editor Kat talks about the politics of pop punk, the problem with commercializing alternative music, and more. So, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hello, my name is Taylor Goodman, I go by Kat, and I'm the noise editor of CU Denver's student-run newspaper, The Century. I am so excited to start off this new semester with my podcast episode, where I will talk about the irony of alternative music subgenres, quote-unquote, gone commercial, musicians with ridiculous opinions that contradict the very essence of the genre that they belong to, and why we need a DIY music scene now more than ever. Let's get into it. So as I mentioned in one of my previous columns, there's a Calvin and Hobbes comic that is very near and dear to my heart as a metalhead, a journalist, and a communications and media studies student. Here's how it goes. Calvin complains to his tiger friend, quote, The problem with rock and roll is that the generation that created it is now the establishment. Rock pretends it's still rebellious with its video posturing, but who believes it? The stars are 45 years old zillionaires, or they endorse soft drinks. The revolution is a capitalist industry. Give me a break, unquote. I gotta say, although this comic is chock full of relatable content, this one really stuck with me. I mean, the kid's objectively right. Unfortunately, we live in a world where money and capitalism take place over ethics, passion, and standing for what you believe in, especially in the United States. Many of the artists I have come to know and love, and still do, have fallen into a rabbit hole that flows completely with the very system that they were writing songs about dismantling in the first place. As a music enthusiast, it hurts to see. As an activist, it's frustrating. And as an artist, it almost feels demeaning. The concept of selling out may be an inside joke within alternative music and communities, but the ramifications are very real. One of the first things Calvin brings up is the detachment of rock stars from reality as they've made more and more profit off of their art. Obviously, not every band or musician has completely detached from the lyrics and belief of their music. For example, Black Sabbath and Jello Biafra of the Dead Kennedys and Reagan Youth are all still very in tune with what their music was originally about. But, unfortunately, for every musician who has held true to their values and rebelling against unhealthy norms and unfair societal expectations, there are several who have become the very institution that they once feared. I mean, you've got people like John Lydon. I think I'm pronouncing that right. I don't know. But anyway, he was the frontman for the Sex Pistols, who were a, like, poster boy punk band for the UK in the 70s. He went from writing songs about anarchy and anti-monarchy to devolving into a millionaire Trump supporter, despite being from the UK. 
Now, this isn't me saying that people are not allowed to change their opinions over time or that even that the Sex Pistols were at any way legit in what they were trying to accomplish. I'm just saying this irony that we see with rock stars sort of devolving into the very institution that they were going speaking out against originally is a very common phenomenon. And I just wanted to explore that a little bit here. So I just use John Lydon as an example. We see people who claim to be who claim to have been punk or metal back in the day, but now have two kids, a house in a rich white neighborhood with a big old black the blue flag hanging over the front lawn. And I just I just want to explore why this happens. I just can't wrap my mind around how a genre or several genres can go from being so liberating and so uh, left-leaning, I guess, for lack of a better word, and then turn out people like this. I just don't get it. <laughs> but I think one of the examples that comes to mind immediately when I think of this is the corporatization of punk rock, both music and fashion-wise. Um, one of the examples that I can think of is the genre of pop punk, which, you know, I like it. It's fun to listen to. It features a lot of talent, but it also features a lot of shitty people. And at the end of the day, is ultimately made to make punk music and aesthetics more palatable to the masses, easier to sell, etc., etc. You see influencers on Instagram and TikTok buying quote-unquote punk pants for like $200 on some fast fashion sleazy website that probably uses child labor, and the pants look fucking ugly anyway. It's literally so much cheaper and more authentic to buy some pants at a thrift store, buy some patches off of Etsy, and make your own. You see spiky jackets and battle vests with patches already sewn on on Depop for hundreds of dollars. It takes away the entire point of DIY fashion and music, which is where punk and to some extent metal hold its roots. It's really sad. And I think it all ties back to Calvin's rant about how the revolution is a capitalist industry. It feels like that comic was written yesterday. And I think talking about the revolution as a capitalist industry goes beyond just uh, music and fashion. I mean, if you look at AOC's Tax the Rich dress, I think that's a pretty interesting example. That being said, I do appreciate AOC, especially her action during the Trump presidency, but the dress just sort of fell off to me. I mean, it's an anti-capitalist phrase splashed onto an expensive dress at an elite exclusive event. I mean, sure, the dress is cool, but what about pushing policies that tax pushing for policies that tax the rich? Maybe it was a good idea to send the message but it just felt out of place and performative at the Met Gala. It felt like somebody trying to be rebellious while still cooperating with the establishment, even though they have an active choice not to do so. And then, I mean, you look at Grimes, the niche indie musician who, by the way, was married to one of the richest men in the world, walking around Los Angeles in a billion-dollar outfit, trying to gain the paparazzi's attention by reading the Communist Manifesto. She did, she did state in her Instagram that she was just doing it as sort of a joke and that she wasn't a communist, but it still just felt really performative and edgy, almost using leftism and the revolution as an aesthetic and a way to get attention. So, um, Grimes, if you're listening, by any chance, if you're out there listening to our little, our little uh, university newspaper podcast, if you want to join the revolution, the first step is you have to redistribute your wealth. My Venmo is at TJ Goody. Have at it. <laughs> Seriously, though. 
celebrities and influencers taking DIY working class politics and working class ethics out of the hands of those who made it and basically, for lack of a better word, gentrifying it. People talking about eat the rich online but not participating in direct action or mutual aid or even buying shirts from corporations like pride shirts, you know, or pride buttons or whatever from corporations that actively donate to homophobic campaigns and politicians. I think this is what Calvin meant in the comic. Punk rock, especially at its core, is anti-capitalist and anti-tyranny. It's anti-billionaire, pro-DIY, pro-mutual aid, and pro-workers' rights. I mean, look, if you want to dress punk and if you want to wear the spikes as part of a way to look alternative to gain clout online, whatever, there's nothing anyone can do to stop you. But I think it's important that you at least try to participate in your local punk scene. Support your favorite local musicians, go to bar shows, Go to local art shows and look up people's Etsys and buy stuff off of them. Support small artists who make punk clothing. Get involved in local mutual aid and activism. And if you can, try reading some theory. Because when punk and alternative stops being trendy, and it will, are you going to go back to normal? Or are you going to use what you've learned about punk's roots, about metal's roots, about what it means to be counterculture, and what it truly means to be punk to make a difference? Will you continue to go to DIY venues even if they're not a hot Instagram spot anymore? Will you shop from small artists and small businesses more than you do on Amazon? And will you spend less time trying to impress strangers online and trying to hand yourself over to corporations who don't give a shit about you and more time looking out for members of your community and standing up against a system that's trying to buy you in? Because at the end of the day, that's what punk rock is all about. That's what some metal genres are all about. That's what being counterculture is all about. It's been that way since the beginning of the subgenre, and I don't think it's going to stop anytime soon. So the moral of the story is that I can think of, because we're uh, running a little low on time here, while it's fun to dress up and be alternative and be cool or whatever, there's really no way for you to truly embody that subculture within your heart unless you truly take what it means to be punk rock to be anti-capitalist to be pro-diy and put it into your everyday life i mean i know it's i know the whole phrase like oh like it's a lifestyle sounds super cheesy but i think to some extent it's true like don't let these niche like micro internet celebrities take away what is a culture based off of working class ethics based off of DIY and mutual aid, you know, don't let corporations take this away from us. So, you know, that's kind of just what I wanted to talk about. Um, I really hope that you guys keep listening to this podcast. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what all my fellow editors will choose to talk about. And hopefully I will be on here again soon. Thank you so much for listening. Bye for now. Sunshine Podcast is executive produced by Tej Bolin, Tirza Watts, and Natasha Sherrod. It is produced by John Mazetta and Kat Goodman. Sunshine Podcast is paid for by the students of the University of Colorado Denver through their student fees. We'd like to give a special thank you to the regents of the University of Colorado, our chancellor, Dr. Michelle Marks, the students of the University of Colorado Denver, and you, our listeners. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Century Podcast, and we look forward to bringing you another episode next month.